Thanks for checking out this Church in the City podcast. In our series through the Gospel of Matthew entitled The Good News of God's Kingdom, we're exploring the ways that we, as disciples of Jesus, partner with God for the real, everyday advancing of His kingdom. Good morning. Uh, As James said, I'm Vanessa. For those who don't know, my husband is Hugh up here in the front, and we have three kids, and we've served on the eldership team here for more years than I know or can count. (laughs) I've been at the church for 12 years total, since basically since it was a couple months old. And yeah, so we've been a part of the church for a long time, and I'm really privileged to share this morning. And as James said, I'm sharing on um, kind of a three-part mini-series that we've been doing on the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm bringing that to a close this morning, just Jesus closing the Sermon on the Mount, which is part of a bigger series we've been doing, and that's um, been in Matthew. We've been doing the Matthew series, um, talking about the kingdom of God, and just the kingdom of God, ways of the kingdom, how we build our life in the kingdom, how we are followers of Jesus in the kingdom. The kingdom of God can be this nebulous thing that's hard to understand and, you know, get your hands around or get your mind around what it is. Um, But I felt Jesus just take me and remind me this morning of it being that that parable in Matthew that talks about in Matthew 13 about being like yeast that you put in dough, the small amount of yeast that you put in dough and you work in the dough, and it slowly permeates the whole dough and changes and impacts the whole dough. And I felt God brought me to that specifically for the Sermon on the Mount this morning because that's how it is in our life. The kingdom of God is like a little bit of yeast in our lives, working in us, changing us and impacting everything about us, permeating everything we do and who we are and changing us. Once we're in the kingdom, we are sons and daughters of the king. We're sons and daughters. We're not outsiders. We, everything we do, everything we hear, everything we receive and allow God to do in our lives is as sons and daughters of him, knowing his goodness, knowing his ways are perfect and right, knowing he's always good. And Jesus embodies the kingdom. That's one way to understand kingdom for me is Jesus is everything that the kingdom of God is. He embodies it. He's walking embodiment of the kingdom of God. Everywhere he goes, he dispelled darkness, he healed, he cast out demons, he was perfectly submitted to the Father in his ways and everything that God asked him to do. He was, he is the kingdom of God. So when we build our lives on kingdom and when we have kingdom in our hearts, it's like building on Jesus. It's like we're building our lives on Jesus himself and who he is. So the kingdom of God doesn't have to be this hard thing to understand. That's kind of how I understand it. And the specific verses that I'm sharing on are Matthew 24 through 29. That's the parable of the wise and foolish builders. And it's the parable that Jesus used to close the Sermon on the Mount, to wrap it up, after he gave all this practical instruction to us of how to live our lives as followers of him. He closed it with this parable. And I'm going to read it. It should be, there it is. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." And that's Jesus closing out the Sermon on the Mount. He's exhorting us 
to build wisely in our lives. He's exhorting us to build on him with this parable. And again, it's after he's given all this practical teaching, he's saying, now put it into practice. That's how we build. That's how we build. We put the things he gives us into practice. It's so we can stand in our lives, so that we don't waver and are swayed and that we're not building on We're not building on fluff. We're not building on nice thoughts. We're building on truth of God's word, the truth of the kingdom, the ways of the kingdom, and who Jesus is. He's exhorting us as a father exhorts his children. It's not a heavy-handed thing. It's, it's, I felt the pleading of the father like I would for my own kids. Build well. Build wisely. Live your life wisely. Like when you want your children to know how to live so that they can weather whatever life throws at them. It's that longing of a father for his sons and daughters. This is how you do it. So he's exhorting us from a place of father. It's so we don't get tripped up by things and that we can weather the storms in life. And that who we know that we know who we are in Jesus and in the kingdom of God. We know who we are. It's not about us being perfect at all. I know sometimes we feel that way, that we need to be perfect, but it's not. Jesus is perfect and his ways are perfect, and we need to follow his ways. It's not about us being perfect. It's about following his perfect ways and his path that he's laid out for us. So we don't need to feel we need to be unflappable or in a zen-like state, you know, of like peace where we just, nothing really affects us. That's not... That's not how God called us to be. We're to be real and authentic. And things do hurt. And things do hit us hard. And they, they will take us out for a little bit. But it's about having that foundation in place in your life that you can come right again. That we can come back. Back to that place. So the storms hit us. They do some damage. We may sway even, but we can stand. And that's the Father's heart for us as his children. So how are we to build We are supposed to build wisely. What does that mean? It says in the parable, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we build by practicing the word of God in our lives. We build by practicing the word. And also by knowing, by allowing God access to our hearts, by allowing him to come and mold and change us and shape us by the word of God in us, and the Spirit of God in us, changing us. And we have to give him that access. And that's how we build. It's kind of like, I was thinking about it, it's kind of like working out. Um, um, I think with working out, you know, when you go to the gym, when you first try to do a push-up, it's really hard. And it's like, for me, I still don't think I can do a push-up. But it's really hard to do a push-up, or it's hard to lift weights. And as, as you start, it's like impossible. And then the next time you do it, it's a little bit easier, and then the next time a little bit easier because you're building those muscles. Every time you do it, you're building those muscles, and it gets easier. And that's what putting the word into practice is. It's like in your life, it's building spiritual muscles. Something hard happens or something bad, and it's really hard to work through it the first time. It may be seeming even impossible to weather whatever it is, But as we put the word into practice, as we apply God's truth and God's word to our lives and to the situation, we build up those spiritual muscles and they're stronger next time. So the next time something hits us, we know what to do. We know where to go 
and we know the truth of the word and we can pull ourselves out of it a little bit quicker. Not like it'll be totally fixed. It's not a quick fix. It's practicing the word of God in our lives every day. We are to get stronger. We are. God wants us to get stronger. It's not like he wants us to stay how we are. And from a loving place. From a loving place. So I was thinking about like struggles with depression or hopelessness. Um, I used to battle some depression. And I, I still can easily go there and get really heavy at certain times. And, um, but as I started to apply God's truth and God's word, slowly... I was able to pull myself out of it a little faster, a little bit better, a little quicker the next time. And it's the same with anxiety, anxious thoughts, hopelessness, when we apply the, God, the word of God to those things. When we say, God, you want me to give these things to you, to trust in you, these anxious thoughts, to trust in you, we get better at it. And we, we get better as we grow at it. And it's okay to admit that sometimes we grow. You know, we grow, we mature. God wants us to mature. It doesn't mean all those things go away completely, but we can stand. So back to the Sermon on the Mount. I hope that wasn't too much for you. It was from love. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount, as I was studying the Sermon on the Mount, um, is, to me, it was, firstly, Jesus dealing with religion. And just, you know, the religious leaders of the day putting religion on people, this heavy yoke, taking God's commands and adding to them, adding tons of rules, tons of requirements, something as simple as keeping the Sabbath, hundreds and hundreds of extra things they needed to do. I don't know if they were power hungry or if they just were self-serving and that they wanted people to do things, but a horrible yoke on people. And God, Jesus was dealing with that and saying, no, get back to the heart and the intent of the law. And secondly, he was... And more importantly, I think, to me, he was bringing a new way. He was bringing kingdom ways to his children. He was saying, now that you're in the kingdom of God, there's a whole new way to live. He had a whole new way. And again, he wasn't abolishing law, but he was bringing a new way and bringing it back to the heart. And he was sharing with his children about the new way. And it's like that yeast that permeates the whole dough and changes us. And it's by following, I love the word that came through this morning by Anka. Yes, I love that word in the prayer, just of um, us walking in more of joy and peace and the things that God has for us. And it is by following the ways of the kingdom that we experience the fruit of the kingdom. It's by putting the word into practice that we experience the righteousness, peace, and joy that's promised us in the kingdom. I know for me personally, um, when I came to this church, I was probably unrecognizable to what I am today. And I don't say that proudly at all, but I know I was unrecognizable. I was hurt. I was hard. I was angry. I didn't like the church. I didn't love people. And God slowly began to do a work in me. And some of that was by laying on of hands and being ministered to, but mostly it was as I opened my heart and he put the word in me and I started applying truth to my life and I started being able to handle more truth and being like, you know what? I actually think that I am wrong in that area and God needed to bring truth in that area and I needed to receive it and allow him to change me. And so that's, 
I just want to encourage you that, that God uses the word of God so much to change us, for us to get it in us and change us. And if we actually apply it, it actually works. It just works. <laughs> so I began to embrace God's ways and his, his ways, his heart. And the shackles started to come off. The shackles of guilt and condemnation, the heaviness, it started to come off. So let's take a closer look at the ways of the kingdom. What are the ways of the kingdom? Because Jesus gives us so much practical application. I'm not going to cover it all, but I want to highlight. It's a three chapters long, and I'm going to highlight the things that stood out to me. They will be in order of how they are in the Sermon on the Mount, but I'm not going to be able to give the references, or I mean, not go to the, ser- the verse for every single one. And I sort of divided it up into three sections just to help organize it. So there's the sections, if that helps. Jesus firstly addressing our character in the Sermon on the Mount. Then he teaches us how we're to be towards others, and then our ambitions and the things that motivate us. So let's start off with, and I know Hugh taught on the Beatitudes already, and Steve brought them up last week too, so I'm not going to go into depth about the Beatitudes, but I did want to talk about, just briefly mention them again, because there's so much in them about how about who we are as God's children and how we're to be. And that starts off that starts off the sermon. It tells us Jesus tells us that we are humble people, we're teachable, we're not self-sufficient. That we're people who mourn the brokenness around us, willing to mourn. We're people who extend mercy to others. We are peacemakers, not causers of strife. We hunger and we thirst for Jesus. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness is like hungering and thirsting for Jesus. We long for him. We're pure in our hearts, not motivated, not having agenda. And we're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. And that's who we are as sons and daughters. That's who we are in the kingdom. There's already a lot of there about kingdom character. But next, Jesus goes on to talk about anger. He talks about the sixth commandment dealing with thou shalt not murder, and he takes it further and says that in the kingdom, we're not to be angry with others. As kingdom followers of Jesus, we're to deal with our anger and our bitterness that we have sometimes. And I think it's good to be reminded because we all can be angry at times. You know, come to church and we sing or we're loving to other people, but then we carry anger around towards someone or something. And God says in the kingdom, we deal with our anger and we're in the kingdom. He doesn't want us to carry those things in our hearts. He wants to set us free from those things so we don't carry them. And his will is that we're reconciled to one another, that we're reconciled. It's not good for followers of Jesus to have wake of broken relationships in our past. And I've met some people like that. I know some, and I might have been like that, just having a wake of broken relationships following us everywhere we go. That's not followers of Jesus. We reconcile wherever possible, even if you can't always, but where we can, we reconcile with people. That's his heart for us. Verse 27, Jesus goes on to deal with um, issues of lust and adultery. And just, I think, reminded, I was reminded this week how hard it is to recover from something like adultery or this kind of a sin. And that's why it's so on God's heart, because it destroys family. 
destroys marriage. It destroys the call God has on people's lives. It's something that's really hard to recover from. Sin is sin. Every sin is sin. But this sin seems harder to recover from. And so as a father wanting to exhort his kids, guard yourself in this area. Guard yourself. It will keep you from walking in everything that I have for you. And verse 33, he exhorts us to be truthful and honest in our words. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. This is when he's talking about oath keeping and how we don't need to swear or promise or say I'll do this. We just need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. These are kingdom ways. As kingdom followers, just be truthful, not given to exaggeration, not distorting truth, and committed, not non-committal, but actually just doing what we say and meaning what we say, and that's it. It's very simple. And I actually teach my kids this. Um, It's such a rare quality in the world. It's very rare to find truthful people, people that are actually just good for their word. It's not like it's out there. And this is radical. It's radical kingdom living just to be honest and truthful, following through on the things we do. And so it seems like a small thing. You're not raising the dead. But it's kingdom and it's bringing kingdom. It's bringing kingdom wherever we go. When I was thinking about, I wanted to say a side note on parenting because we're parents. Um, Some of you are parents. And there's so much in the Sermon on the Mount that's good counsel on parenting. And we're so quick to go to books, and it's fine. I have some really good books that I've enjoyed and that I've learned a lot from. But God has convicted me to go back to his word when I'm parenting because it tells my kids the authority the word of God has in my life when I use the word of God, when I'm teaching them, Um, when I tell them from scripture, this is what God says, this is what the word says, it shows them the authority of the Word of God to me. And it, it actually gives you so many um, practical things about how to deal with their tendencies towards not telling the truth or, you know, kids' tendencies to exaggerate or to fool people or try to trick you. <laughs> it gives you a chance to deal with things like bullying and how you deal with things that people do to you at school and the horrible things that kids can do to each other. Um, our first thing is hit them, well, hit them back. You know, if they hit you, hit them back. But, but actually, if we go to the word, it says, turn the other cheek. It says reconcile, don't retaliate. So we need to use the word when we're teaching our kids and let them know the authority of God. This is where we go. This is where we get our answers. We don't get our answers from the school counselor. It's fine if she has really good insight, but we first go to this. We use the word of God. And we trust the word of God. Next, Jesus, the second section, Jesus teaching us how to treat others. And that is the famous eye for an eye passage. And it's just basically that there's no room for retaliation or revenge in the kingdom. That's so contrary to the world, isn't it? Just to not take revenge when somebody does something to you or not try to get back. But the ways of the kingdom are... We don't take revenge. We don't retaliate, which is so radical. But Jesus is our example. And we're to love our enemies. How's that for opposite of the world? We're to love our enemies. Can you imagine? I tried to teach that to my oldest son. I don't know. He didn't know how to take it. (laughs) He took it, though. He listened. He was, you know, he was taking it in. If you say it with the Father's heart and just love, he was taking it in. 
And I was reminding him that we are to, called to love our enemies, love everyone, love everyone. And as Christians, it's not okay for, you know, I guess back then, in Jesus' time, the pagans and the tax collectors were the hated people. But here, it could be a politician or it could be a presidential candidate that we really don't like. And it's just one thing if Christians are talking love for the poor out of one mouth and the next hatred towards a presidential candidate or anger. It's not God's way. It's not his way. It grieves him because it's not the kingdom. It's not the kingdom to only love people who agree or who do what we think they should do. He wants us to love everyone. I know that's radical. I know it's radical, but that's the whole point. Living for Jesus, following, following his ways is radical, radical living. Not just raising the dead, not just selling everything we have to be missionaries, just doing the things that he tells us to do, the basics. It's radical. The world is not a loving and merciful place. It's not. I, I mean, we have a smallest, smallest example. Um, the tiniest example, we were at, in New York City last week for spring break and vacationing with our family. And we were in the LaGuardia Airport. And it was backed up like crazy. And the security was way backed up. They were down to one lane. And so we probably sat in security for an hour, maybe, yeah. And we were fine because we got there early. So we ran to our gate and we, we didn't actually run. We got to our gate. We were fine. We got there really early. But this other family, we just saw bolting for their gate. They were racing for their gate. And they had little kids and they were running as fast as they could. The people at the gate, the employees, were literally just watching them. And then as they walked, as they ran up and they were waving, saying, we're here, closed the door in their face. Yes. I was so mad. I just wanted to go over, but I didn't. But I was just like, that's a very small, small thing. But people are not loving and merciful and extending mercy in the world. It's kind of like, too bad for you. You didn't make it. And that's a small example. And we can have a lot of extreme examples. But it's a way that we're the light. It's a way that we're different. And we are different. We are different. We're merciful and loving and gracious and peacemakers. Thirdly, in chapter 6, the third section is Jesus speaking about how our ambitions are to be radically different from the world's. The things that drive and motivate us. And this can be challenging for any of us. Jesus talks about money. Talks about storing up our treasures in heaven. And I'm going to read... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's not bad to have things. It's not saying don't have things. It's not saying don't have things. It's about do we hold, how much we hold on to them. You know, It's about how important they are to us. And how much we hold on to them. And I was just reminded of keeping an open hand as I was going through this. Just keeping an open hand with our things. Because in the kingdom, it's not important in the kingdom. And I think I was also reminded how sentimental people are. You know, and on the, just kind of the sentiment of how we preserve everything. And 
store everything and keep everything and hold on to everything. But as kingdom followers, we don't need to be bound by a lot of stuff. We can give and we can let go. And we don't need to hang on to things and memories and things like that as much and with as much sentimentality as is out there. There's so much sentimentality. And I think, I don't know if that's a kingdom way because Jesus says, store up your treasures in heaven. Store up your treasures in heaven. So just being open-handed with our things and giving. And not be motivated by money. That's the main thing is not being ambitious for it. And not being ambitious, not being driven by our worry. He talks about our worry next. Just, um, it's so easy to be worried and anxious. I have a lot of anxious thoughts and worries, you know. It's something that I always have to work through. Um, You can just have fear and worry over so many things. And they're real things. They're real things. So God understands that. He knows. He understands. And he cares about the things that we worry about. He cares a lot. But it's easy to let those worries motivate us. And Jesus says, give those worries to him. Trust in him. And then he gives that beautiful passage. Verse 31. Actually, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. He knows. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Such a beautiful promise. Seek him first. Give him our worries. Trust him. Seek his kingdom first and everything will be added. Everything that we need will be provided for. And that's a promise from the Father. Then he exhorts us to pray in chapter 7. Pray. To ask, to seek, and to knock. To bring everything before him. When we have kingdom in our hearts, when kingdom is in our hearts, when when our first love is Jesus and he is our everything and kingdom is our priority, we can boldly ask. We can come and ask for anything. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. If we don't ask, we can't receive. Jesus then reminds us that the ways of the kingdom are not popular with the majority. In that passage about small is the gate, Narrow is the road that leads to life, and few find it. And that's heartbreaking. It's also good to be reminded of that we're on the narrow path, and we're on the not popular path. Kingdom ways are not popular. God's ways are not popular with the world, and we shouldn't compromise them because they are not popular. They're against the norm. They're against the grain. It's not really about being popular. God's ways, that's a narrow path, and few find it. That is, that is, it's sad. It's very, but we don't want to compromise the truth of God just to be popular. And he then goes on to talk about false prophets and false teaching. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. There is 
there is some false teaching out there. There is. And I think for me, this is about us knowing the Word of God and just knowing who we are in Christ and knowing the Word as followers of Jesus. I know I want to know the Word of God for myself so that I'm not easily swayed by false teaching or things that sound good out there. And there is some. Just because it's a minister who says it or a pastor, a leader, it doesn't mean that it's God's Word. So for each of us, we should know the Word so that we can, we can resist and guard ourselves from false teaching in our lives. That's God's heart. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. There's so many answers to questions here in the Word of God. So many. And it's easy to go looking elsewhere. It's easy to ask other people. But God addresses so much for our life in the Word. And I'm not a theologian. I'm not a great student of the Word. But I hope to be more. I hope to grow in that and be able to stand more and say, actually, the truth of God's Word says this. When I hear something that sounds nice, but it's false teaching. So we should be guarded. It's like, Guard from those things. And finally, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 21. Doing the will of the Father is what marks true disciples, true followers of Jesus. Not even some who think that they know him as Lord. Not even some, goes on to say, who do signs and wonders in his name necessarily know him. It's the ones who know the word and the ways of God and actually follow, actually follow his ways. Those are the ones who know that's marks a true disciple of Jesus is by putting the word into practice in our lives, not just hearing, but obeying. You see, being in God's kingdom, it does require something of us. It does. And then I think, you know, it's a free gift of God. We enter freely. We come in freely In grace, we receive freely all that God has for us. He doesn't hold anything back from us, nothing, as his sons and daughters. But it costs us something. It costs us something, being in the kingdom. It requires our all. Jesus requires our all. He requires our whole heart, our devotion to him, which we show by obeying. We show by responding to his leading, by letting him mold and shape us as his followers, and change us, and doing his will, responding to the Father, doing his will. It's not, this might be controversial, I hope not, but it's not just basking and soaking in the love of God. It's nice, and we need, it's not like you ever move on from the love of God. It's not like we ever say we don't need the love of God, but being the kingdom, we're rooted, and we're grounded, and we're established in his love. And then we can carry it to a dying world and be the light that we're called to be. So it's being rooted in his love, grounded. Ask him, ground me in your love so that I can be the light that you call me to be. And I'm closing now. But just to close, the kingdom of God, it's radical. It's radical. Steve said last week, it's radical living. It's inside out and upside down of everything the world would tell us. Everything. But we are kingdom followers, and we're called to radical lifestyles for Jesus. We're called for radical, and he deserves it. He deserves it. He deserves us to 
give him our everything and to live radically as followers of him. And we shine brighter and brighter as the world is a darker place. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against it. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Let's build our lives on kingdom truths. Let's build our lives on Jesus and follow his ways so we can stand life's storms. We can weather the storms. And I think in just closing... Um, I did feel this morning as I was just worshiping and preparing, just reminded how much if you build on sand, it's kind of like you're building on what people say about you. It can be building your life on what people say about you. And I felt this morning for people who may have had things spoken over them or been put in a box or been told they are this or that, instead of believing and knowing who Jesus says we are, and this is who Jesus says we are as his sons and daughters, and so I just felt that maybe, maybe it was an area of ministry this morning. Um, just people who've had anything negative spoken over you that has stuck with you, where you think that's who you are, but actually this is who we are. We're kingdom followers. And to build on who Jesus says we are. So if anyone is here and wants to have freedom in that area, if there's heaviness in that area where God said something, and Jesus wants to speak destiny over us instead. He wants to say wants to break the power of those words over our life and say, I actually speak this and destiny and calling and a future for you. Not those things that whoever said or whatever someone said. And so I don't know if that's you this morning, but I would like to pray for us and then pray for that area of ministry also. Is that okay? Okay. Father, thank you this morning just for your word. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your ways, God. Thank you for your ways, Father, that just bring us into all, all joy and all peace and all righteousness, God, just in following you. And we thank you that your ways are perfect, God. Thank you that your ways are perfect, Lord. And Father, just thank you for each person here this morning, God. And I just thank you for who they are in you, God. And I pray, Lord, if there is anyone who has had negative things spoken over them, Father, just hurtful things or negativity spoken over them, God, that you would heal them now, Father. I pray that you would set them free, Lord. Set them free from those things that have been spoken, God, that are not from you. And believe, begin to believe, God, who you say they are. A son and a daughter of the King. Someone who's called, who's chosen, who's accepted and loved and established in you, God. And we pray you do that for all of us this morning, God. Do that afresh for us this morning, Lord. Thank you that you have destiny and purpose on each of us, God, and you call us, Lord. You call us, despite anything any that we struggle with, Lord, you call us. So thank you, God, for what you did this morning in the worship. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. You can always check out more messages at churchinthecity.us or on iTunes.